friends, welcome to Making Disciples. My name is Chris Rogers and I am your host today. And I'm going to do an episode for you today that I am really excited about. I have had this in the works for a little while and I've wanted to talk about this on Making Disciples, but I decided I wanted to wait until an appropriate time to put it out. And this week is the appropriate week to put it out. It is Holy Week. Uh, This is going out at the start uh, of the Holy Week of Easter. Easter is at this weekend. Doesn't matter when you listen to this episode. It's just significant for me that this is when we're putting this out actually on uh, Holy Week. Now, what I want to explore today is hidden within the scriptures, the Gospels, is a narrative that just helped the original reader to understand who was Jesus. We take certain things for granted about Jesus. We take his uh, birth, his death, his resurrection for granted. We take for granted how those events happened. Well, that's just what happened, isn't it? But if you were an original reader of these uh, historical uh, documents uh, of what happened, then you would see things that we don't necessarily see. And that's what I want us to explore today. Hidden within the Gospels, Uh, specifically we're going to look at Christ's uh, last week, Jesus's last week from triumphal entry uh, through to his death. Uh, Hidden within these texts is a clear narrative that is telling us who we are meant to believe that Jesus is. Often people say, Jesus never says outright who he is. Well, no, because the writers have riddled the stories of the Gospels filled full Uh, of little clues that are meant to help us realise who Jesus is. Anyone can say, I am the Messiah, but not everyone fits the patterns and the rhythms and does the kind of things Messiah should do. So that's what uh, we're going to explore today. So again, my name is Chris Rogers. Welcome to this podcast episode. This is Unlocking Jesus's Last Week. So here we go, unlocking Jesus's last week. Within the uh, Gospels, it documents certain things about Jesus's last week uh, that will just help us understand who the writers believed uh, Jesus uh, to be and what was his position in the universe meant to be. Uh, So we're going to start at first with, with John. Uh, John chapter 12 uh, kicks us off. It says in John chapter 12, it was six days before Passover. Uh, In other words, that's Saturday. Okay, that's Saturday. Six days before Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Let's skip a few verses forward to verse 12. And we're told this is now the triumphal entry. We are told it says this, the next day. Okay, so if yesterday was Saturday, then the next day is Sunday. So this is the first day of the Jewish week, okay? The next day, uh, the great crowd that had come for the feast, the feast was Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
they took palm branches and went out to meet him. Now, the palm branch is a symbol and sign of Israel. It was like they were going to wave their national flag. We have in the UK uh, the Union flag in America, the American flag. Uh, the palm uh, branches were a symbol of Israel. And that came from a period in Jewish history uh, where the palm branch became the symbol uh, of God's people. We'll have to explore that another time. Trust me. We're told that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Now, what's really important here is it's Passover. Passover would have had somewhere in the region of 140,000 people descending on this city. Uh, Rome were very scared of uh, the Jewish people having this uprising against the Romans. Uh, there were so many Roman centurions in Jerusalem, but they realised that once you up the numbers of Jews, you're going to need to put more Roman centurions in. Uh, so there, there is um, almost a police force big enough to cope with the sheer number of people that are now descending on the city. So they would uh, arrive into Jerusalem uh, with thousands of extra Roman centurions. And we are told in the history books uh, that Pilate, who lived outside of Jerusalem, he lived elsewhere, he would arrive in to Jerusalem at the beginning of the week that started the Passover. He would arrive with extra uh, centurions for the purposes of telling the city of Jerusalem, Rome are here, you are an occupied city, and we come with military force, so don't try an uprising against us because we're big enough to crush you. And we are told that the way that Pilate arrived into Jerusalem is he would arrive like most Roman leaders on the back of a white stallion, surrounded by these thousands of centurions. And they would arrive into the city and they would create a parade so that the people of the city would know that Rome is here, Pilate is here, the occupation is here. And he would arrive into the city on the west side of the city. The west side of the city is where Herod's palace was and it's where Pilate stayed on the west side of the city. It was also the wealthy end of town. So we are told in the history books that Pilate would arrive into Jerusalem early for Passover, the first day of that week, so that the Jerusalem city would know that Rome are here. And we are told it is the Sunday, the same day, the first day of that week of Passover that Jesus rides into Jerusalem. We're told that he rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey's colt. In other words, it was a baby or an infant colt, uh, donkey. It's like Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on the back of a little pink girl's bike. This was a child's um, mechanism for riding. This was not an adult's bike. This was a young donkey. And as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he's doing it's like a counter parade against Pilate arriving on the west side of the city. Jesus arrives in from Bethany. Arriving from Bethany, he will be arriving on the east side of city, the city. So Jesus has a counter parade uh, to Pilate on the east side of the city riding a donkey's colt. And this is the key thing for us here. As he rides into the city, we're told that people came out to greet him shouting, Hosanna means uh, praise God, deliver us, or it means save us, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, that's a very interesting little verse there. 
That is the exact same words that were said when Herod was made king of Jerusalem. The people would line the streets and they would shout out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So they're cheering Jesus on and welcoming him into the city in the same way that they welcomed in Herod when Herod became king. In other words, the week starts with the inauguration as Jesus as the king of the Jews. In other words, there's a new king in town. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus is the new king in town. He is the king that the Lord has sent. So who is Jesus in the triumphal entry? He's not just a rabbi who rides a donkey. He's the new king in town and the people know it and they're shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, the one thing I often hear taught at Easter, which I don't think is is correct at all, uh, people will often say the same people that cheered uh, for Jesus as king on the Sunday is the same people who jeered at Jesus on the Friday for his crucifixion. I actually don't think that is true. Uh, The triumphal entry into Jerusalem happened on the east side of the city. It was the poor end of town. It's where the peasants would live and work. That's where Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Jesus uh, is sent to his illegal trial on the west side of the city, the wealthy end of town. I actually think these were two different groups of people. I think the poor community in the east side of the city knew who Jesus was as their king. I think the west side of the city was scared of Jesus as king because they knew their financial safety was found in Herod and in Pilate uh, and therefore they wanted to see him killed. I'm not sure it is the same group of people, but that can be debated. But for me, I think this is a different group of people who who, are realising who Jesus Messiah is. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is this. I want to now rewind, rewind, fast forward to the end of Jesus's week. Jesus has had his illegal trial and he's now heading towards his crucifixion. Now, before I walk through the stages of Jesus's crucifixion, what I would really like to do, entertain me here, friends, I want to share with you the stages of the crowning of Caesar Augustus as the Caesar and ruler over the Roman Empire. Uh, I want to share with you how a Roman uh, became a Caesar. What were the stages of inauguration of uh, an individual to become Caesar? And it's certainly the stages that we see of Caesar Augustus. So stage number one, the Praetorian guards would surround Caesar. They would surround him. I love the word Praetorian guards. It's it's also what the red guards were called in Star Wars. When the Emperor in Star Wars gets off the ship in Return of the Jedi, those red uh, troopers were called Praetorian guards. Uh, they stole it in Star Wars. They stole it from the Roman Empire. Little geeky Star Wars noise there. Anyway, you don't need to know that. The Praetorian guards would surround Caesar, number one. Number two... 
The Praetorian guards would then robe him with purple robes. They would put an uh, olive leaf wreath on his head as a crown and they would give him a, a golden scepter as a symbol of his authority. So they would surround him, they would robe him, they'd give him a wreath and a scepter. Three, they would cheer and shout at Caesar. They would shout this, he is triumphant. He is triumphant. And then it shouts things like, Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! So that was three. They shouted and cheered. Four. There would then be a procession through the streets of Rome. Behind Caesar would uh, follow a sacrificial bull. The bull would walk behind Caesar, Caesar was walking behind the Praetorian guards. And they would walk uh, through the streets and they would arrive um, at the uh, what's called Capitol Hill. But this bull, let's just look at this bull for a moment. This bull that followed Caesar, the bull's blood would mark his entry into becoming uh, divine. To enter the divine pantheon, uh, the blood of the bull would be the marker of, uh, of Caesar becoming Caesar. So the sacrificial bull would follow behind Caesar, who's following behind the Praetorian guards. And five, they would then go to Capitol Hill. Now, Capitol Hill in English is known as Head hill and this is where the temple to jupiter was okay so they would go to capitol hill six caesar would stand by the altar on this hill and the sacrificial bull was killed and caesar was given a bowl of wine mixed with myrrh and he would be given it he would take it as if he's going to drink it and then he would reject it he would reject it and then that wine with myrrh would be poured over the body of the bull. The bull is sacrificed and the blood would be poured all over the altar. Okay, so the sacrificial bull would be sacrificed on the altar, the wine poured over him and the blood would pour down over the altar. Okay, seven, Caesar would then gather... Uh, two commanders, one on his right and one on his left. He'd have his second in command on his right and his third command on his left. And they would stand either side of him on Capitol Hill. Eight. He would then ascend, walking up the steps, he would ascend to the throne at the top of Capitol Hill. And there would then, nine, be a sign and there would be a whole string of different things that could happen, either a solar eclipse or a, a, a flock of doves would fly over, but there would be some symbol of supernatural effect that would uh, be a sign to show that the gods were happy with Caesar's sacrifice, his ascension, and now that he's seated on the throne. And this would symbolise that Caesar was divine. What was Caesar Augustus's uh, other name? His other name was this. He was the son of God. Julius Caesar was seen as the first Caesar to become God. When Caesar um, 
Julius Caesar died. A comet was seen flying over uh, Rome at his death, and that they were believed that that was his body going into the divine pantheon. Uh, so Caesar Augustus, well, he's the son of God. So all the coins in Rome uh, had on them Caesar Augustus, uh, the son of God. So that's the inauguration of Caesar Augustus. I want to now just jump back to Jesus's uh, death. So Jesus has his illegal trial and he's taken out to be crucified. So let's walk this through. Number one, uh, the soldiers, Roman centurions, surrounded Jesus. Two, they crowned him with a crown of thorns. They give him an old stick as a scepter and they robed him in purple robes. Three, the centurions mocked Jesus, some bowed at Jesus, and some jeered at Jesus. Uh, they laughed at him as the king of the Jews. Four, they processed Jesus through the streets. There was no bull, but King Jesus was to become the sacrifice. So Jesus is paraded through the streets. Five, he is led to Golgotha. The Aramaic of that means Skull Hill. And if you are really pernickety, really pernickety, it actually means Head Hill. Golgotha. Six, Jesus is offered wine, but he rejects it. He doesn't want it. He rejects it. Seven, uh, either side of Jesus uh, are two criminals or terrorists, depending on how you translate the Greek. But on his right and on his left, you have two criminals. Seven, eight, eight, Jesus dies and, um, you know, he ascends into hell. What we believe as Christians, he died and he ascended into hell. Nine, the temple suddenly experiences a supernatural event and the curtain in the temple is, uh, is ripped from top to bottom. Let me just make this very clear. The curtain in the temple is believed to be as thick as your hand and took a, uh, 300 priests to move it. It was ginormous and heavy, but yet it's ripped from top to bottom. We're told that the sky became dark. We are told that the tombs burst open and the dead walked. So there was these supernatural events. Number nine. And then I add in number 10. Number 10. Remember the Roman guard who stands there at Jesus's death. What does he say? Surely this is the son of God. Surely this is the Son of God. Now, what Mark sets up in the Gospel of Mark is a clear inauguration of Jesus as the Caesar, okay? The way Caesar became Caesar through the steps of the Praetorian guards being robed in purple, shouted at him um, and cheered at him. He was processed through the streets. He was taken to Head Hill. Um, he had the sacrifice and the blood was poured out. He was offered the wine. He had uh, the commanders on his right 
and on his left he ascended to the throne and then this supernatural sign. That is exactly what we see in the gospel writings of how Jesus uh, died and um, is shown to be who he really is. Who is Jesus? Jesus is uh, the ruler that always should have been. He is the king of the Jews and he is now inaugurated as the ruler of the universe. Caesar was at the centre of the Roman universe. And at the centre of the Roman universe, Caesar was in charge of politics, social life, religious life, economic life. The gospel writers set Jesus up in the same way Caesar became Caesar, Jesus now becomes the king, the Caesar, the ruler of the universe. And in the same way Caesar of Rome, the centre of the Roman universe, overlooked politics, social life, religious life and economic life, Jesus now does the same. Jesus is in charge of kingdom politics, kingdom social life, kingdom religious life, and, uh, kingdom economic life. Jesus, this is the uh, rule now of King Jesus and the kingdom of God. And he is now set up as Lord of life, the king of life and then the king of of resurrection. So the gospel writers are very clever here what they're doing. They're setting Jesus up against um, Herod, King Herod, and, and against Pilate. But the inauguration of Jesus as the King of the Jews, Hosanna to the King of the Jews. And then we set up Jesus to uh, ascend uh, to become the Son of God in the same way that Caesar Augustus ascended to become the Son of God as the son of Julius Caesar. So the writers here are doing something super clever that we miss. It's set up in the exact same pattern that we see in the history books for how uh, Caesar became Lord. So Caesar is at the centre of the Roman universe. Now Jesus, he is centre of the universe. So what is the big message here? The big message is this. You think Herod rules. Let me tell you about the king of the Jews. You think Caesar rules. Let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, the gospel writers are setting up a clear narrative about who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He's the son of the most high. He's the center of the universe and he is the king uh, of the kingdom of God. This is how it's been set up here. We haven't even talked about resurrection. We haven't talked about what Jesus then goes on to do beyond what Caesar was capable of. But the gospel writers are clearly setting Jesus up here as the ruler of the center of the universe. So I guess we have to ask ourselves, you know, what is the challenge here? The challenge here is this. Do you really believe that the universe is now ruled by a new king? And this king really is in charge. And this king rules the universe as uh, the perfect king? Uh, do you believe that Jesus has ascended uh, beyond um, being a human and ascended into this Godhead? Th th that Roman centurion, he got it. Surely this is the son of God. This is no man. This is not just a rabbi. This is not just a good teacher. No, no, no. Surely this was the son 
of God. A Roman could only say that Caesar was the son of God. But yet this Roman centurion realizes what's going on. He says, no, this is the son of God. The challenge to us is this, friends. Can you come to a place where you realize who Jesus really is? He's not just a good man. He's not just a, a teacher. He's not just a rabbi. He is the son of God, the son of the most high. Can you believe this is who Jesus is? Because this is what the gospel writers are setting up. They're trying to tell you and I who we should believe this man to be. Jesus was not just a rabbi who had an illegal trial, who was killed and came back to life again. No, Jesus, Rabbi Jesus is more than that. He's the king who rules the Jewish people, but he's also the Caesar of the universe as he ascends into the divine pantheon he is the god of gods that's what uh, the gospel writers are setting up so that's a little bit of uh exciting interesting inspiring stuff hidden within the gospel uh, account of jesus's death right in it is laden full of history and it's there to teach us who jesus is now the original writers uh would have shown this to the Roman Empire and to Roman citizens and they'd have read this and they'd have said, we get what this is about. We know who you are trying to say Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. The challenge for us is can we believe it too? Friends, have a great Easter. Bless you. And I can't wait to spend more time with you uh, after Easter. Grace and peace. <laughs>